Welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Proudly brought to you by Cheese Links, bringing cheese and yogurt making to your kitchen. Cheeselinks.com.au Hi and welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier, as Irvi says in the introduction. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our program. A terrific one and uh, coming up. And welcome to Sarah Patterson. Ba- Sarah, Sarah, one year older, one year better, just like a good bottle of wine. Who's now not talking at all. <laughs> Normally interrupts the bejesus out of me when well, I'm doing sometimes, this. Sometimes, Kevin, I'm today. lost for words in your company. Well, I'm lost for words because we again have another terrific guest. Yes. A headliner. Second time he's been with us on Food Bites. Yeah. So he obviously likes our company. Yeah, it is. And uh, this time he's talking about a new book that he's done, which uh, seriously, you could do your weight. Um, training, it is rather thick, it isn't it? It's a massive book. It's called Matt Preston's World of Flavour. Now, it's not only your standard kind of cookbook thing. It's more like a, a, a history lesson in yeah. many ways. And uh, as we talk to Matt in our interview today on Food Bites, oh. he explains he's done fair whack of investigative journalism over a period of not just weeks or months, but years. This book is years in the making. And he says he kind of fell down the rabbit hole of uh, exposing the myths when it comes to classic dishes from around the world, mm. the truths and the myths yeah. about their origins and uh, who you know really came up with Spag Bowl. Where did Pastor Alfredo actually originate, Kevin? Now You'd be surprised. bloody New Zealanders trying to steal a few things the off Pav us too. Lova. Well, we go into the, uh, <laughs> the ins and outs of where the Pav came from. Right, we've since stolen you know, the Finn brothers and uh, and Russell Crowe and a mm. few others, but, you know, it's, it's give and take. <laughs> so it, it really yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Book. Fascinating, great book. And we're going to give you the chance, we are giving you the chance to win this very copy that I have in my hand here of this fabulous book. It's a beautiful book. would make an ideal Christmas present yep. for the foodie person in your family. And all we're asking is if you want to jump on the, the Facebook uh, page on Food Bites with Sarah Patterson, the question, well, it's not a question, but just tell us uh, what is a classic dish that you have added your own sp- Special twist yeah, too. Your little, your little kind of, you know, the Sarah twist or the Kev twist. What's, or the what's a Judy Kev twist? twist Can you think of a Kev twist? No, but I was thinking of one. <laughs> I was thinking when spag bowl is the one that everybody tweaks yeah. up and does something with, uh, whether you put a different sort of vegetable in it. Yeah, or my whatever. mum puts yeah. uh, green capsicum. That's in what it. I was. That's yeah. exactly what it's got. The Dizey twist is the green capsicum in yep. the in the spag bowl. So that's what we're looking for, mm. and it, it just makes it you, and it makes it something that uh, it's the way you do it. And people might you know comment and say, oh, what's the secret ingredient there. That tastes different. I really like that. And of course, our very good friends at Cheese Links uh, are our proud podcast uh, uh, supporters. You can give Janet a buzz on 5282 or do the smart thing. Jump on the website. Yes. Have a look. Get some equipment. Graze. Around the <laughs> yes. website, just graze around Learn the Learn all you need to know about making your own cheese platter for Christmas or if that's uh, not your bag just at the moment, you might want to uh, get somebody a gift voucher. Exactly. Or a yoghurt maker, they're there as well. Yes. Check it all out, cheeselinks.com.au and all the social media platforms. That telephone number is 52821984. But let's get to our guest. He's a beauty, Matt Preston. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Hello, Matt. Morning. Hello, Sarah, Kevin. Look, we don't need an excuse to uh, to have a chat with you on the Food Bites podcast, but when uh, Matt Preston's World of Flavour gets released to the world with uh, with a concoction of uh, all sorts of things in it, that's a bloody good excuse if you ask us. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. I can't think of a, a nicer way to have a cup of tea, to have a cup of tea and, and, and chat about 
chat about some of the world's great food and the, the stories behind them. Matt, this book is as much a cookbook as it is a history lesson, and you've done some serious investigative journalism for this book. Tell us about how you got started and the journey. Uh, look, look, I've always been obsessed by, by finding out where things come from. I, I love that idea of, you know, it starts out in, you know, Pastor Alfredo, you know, that, a, a dish that is, you really only see in America. How did it get to America? Was it ever in Italy? Um, and, and, and when you start digging, when you start digging, I started doing this maybe six, seven years, digging and finding those stories. You find some gems like, you know, I think Douglas, Mary Pickford, Douglas Fairbanks are on holiday in Rome. They, they go to this restaurant where this bloke called Alfredo is, is tossing pasta table side. It's chafing dish cuisine is very big at that time. And they take it back to America and they popularize it. And I, I love I love that those stories can be as little as that, or they can be as as big and romantic as you know when when Shah Jahan um, inaugurated the, the Taj Mahal. You know that great act of love, the mausoleum for his wife. Um, he had a. It took ten years or so to build. And they had a big feast to kind of celebrate it, it being finished, um, and and that's the first time they had a that we see a korma um, or a kind of a, a shahi korma, a white korma appearing in Indian cuisine. So, so these, these dishes can come from tiny chance moments or they can come from big, grandiose kind of feast-type arenas. Um, but the main thing about them is that, is that we have over the, the last few years seen a massive proliferation in people, in, in websites and online sites and bloggers just mirroring stuff, taking, taking something as gospel and then, like, repeating it. Um, often without really doing any factual checking. So my job was to kind of look at some of those claims uh, of origins, uh, fact check them, try and find primary sources that supported that, whether it's in old cookbooks or in old newspapers or, you know, that we, there's a, we're in a wonderful state at the moment where we've got uh, so much digitised by the world's great libraries now that, that you can find stuff that really, well, six years ago, five years ago when I was starting doing this, um, it was impossible to, to read the, the, you know, the, the seven volumes on the, on the court of Akbar I of India. <laughs> but now you, can find, now you can find both the original version and you can also find an English translation done in the, in the 1800s that, you know, which said, where you can say, oh, look, there's, there's korma. They, they, they would do a korma back then. It's different and it's more, more, like, a per, more like a Persian dish, but it's a bray. So, I mean, that, that's, that's the excitement. The excitement is, is being able to find stuff that, that is there and also be able to prove stuff that isn't there. So, you know, looking for one of the great ones is, is beef burgundy, beef burgundy, yeah, which is, you know, read the LaRousse and it'll say it's an ancient medieval Burgundian dish. And then you, you read the, one of the, the first great books about Burgundian cookery, you know, this is kind of the, it's about all the best food in Burgundy. It's not mentioned. And you're going, if this is, the signature dish of Burgundy, how come it's not yeah. the first recipe in that book? And so you start, you start digging around and you start seeing that, you know, really it's not something that's medieval. It's something that, it's something that, that really happens with beef only in the, the late 18, 1800s. Um, previously it's done with, with other meats. Um, and actually the very first mention is actually at a dinner at the Brighton Pavilion for the Prince, for the Prince Regent cooked by Karem in 1817. But, but again, this is where it gets tricky because it's not, it's not, it's, he wasn't doing beef, he was doing duck. So he's doing duck. And instead of it, it's not um, duck bourguignon, but it's duck a la bourguignette. 
So it's a different <laughs> spelling of the of the of the the name for 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 being from Burgundy, from Burgundy, and it's actually the way that they describe armor in Burgundy. So Burgundy argument, uh, there's a famous Burgundy armor helmet called La Burgonette. And so, so it's it's a it's a beautifully deep rabbit hole you go down. You can probably hear my voice. Rabbit hole just, is I what kind of get lost. That was the description amazing. I was about to use because what you've essentially become, Matt, ah. is um, a myth buster, and you've chosen a time uh, technology as such that um, it's the perfect time to uh, to do it. I can tell by the passion in your voice that it, it has become quite addictive for you. Ah. <laughs> and and the, the other the, the other thing is you also I tell you what the other great thing is there are also these there are these lone voices of sanity out there <laughs> and you'll find them they'll be running they'll be running their own little blog on you know American pastry or on the great food there's a wonderful the Australian food timeline which is a wonderful site if you haven't had them on food bites you should have them on food bites they do some wonderful stuff so you find these little these little bastions as a brilliant group of academics in. I think it's in um, Indonesia who do a kind of a regular, like monthly update on, on food history. You find these little things and, 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 they're, and they're, they're the little rafts you jump on and you go, okay, so um, it confirms what I'm thinking. Um, they, they maybe move your, your thinking onward. Hopefully the stuff that I've done in this book may also move, move them onward. But above all, I think the first thing I remember with the cookbook has got to be a They've got to be simple. They've got to be super tasty. And they've got to move the dish on. You've got to have the dish and go, yeah, and that's the best bolognese I've ever made or the best Thai Massimo curry I've ever made. So you start with that. But then I think nowadays you have to, you have to give people something extra. You have to give them some other value and, um, and to kind of find a way of moving on the conversation. So what was the biggest surprise for you in, in all this? Was it who knocked off what from whom? <laughs> um. I think it really depends. You know, the, the, the thing about myths is myths are only a myth if you believe them. Mm. You don't know about them. You know, I mean, you know, the the carbonara um, not being a dish made by um, honest charcoal burners up in the hills above Rome using one Charlie and Pecorino is a is a great one. Um, uh, the fact that uh, Putanesca is not that it wasn't made in brothels and in the Naples port um, for busy working girls. In between clients, the the fact that pavlova is in New Zealand, a New Zealand dish. The fact that pavlova may actually be more of a German dish than a New Zealand dish. Oh. Um, that the first spaghetti bolognese recipe wasn't published in England; it was published in Australia. Oh. That um, the steak Diane was Australian. That tuna mornay was an Australian invention. Um, that I think that's you know the fact that the and then it's little things like you read the the first like. Time, I mentioned Thai master and curry earlier. Um, it's, a, it's a dish that comes out of the household of one or two brothers, two Persian brothers who are merchants um, working to the royal court in the old Thai kingdom, um, in the old Thai capital. Uh, and then the first recipe is written down in the mid-1800s um, by a descendant of that merchant and you read it it reads like a normal Thai muslim and apart from the fact she uses orange juice and she also uses sultanas in it and you go this is something you'd never see yeah. when you get your muslim from the local takeaway um so we made it with we made it with those additions and it just revolutionizes the dish it becomes much more fragrant and brighter and you sort of you can also see the sort of some of those persian persian influences you know that the dried fruit obviously is such a, a persian thing to do and if you look at history of moorish cuisine 
you know, when dried fruit hits, say, the Berbers or the uh, Tunisia, Morocco, that influence is coming out of the the uh, out of the, the the Persian part of the Arab world. Um, so, so I think that, that those are, that, that that's also that's also equally as exhilarating because because you're tasting a dish close to closer to what it was maybe originally, but also you're seeing another facet of the dish that's totally delicious. I know, Matt, you've mentioned there on several occasions that Australia has been uh, in the spotlight. And I, I mean, there's a certain cultural cringe when it comes to uh, what constitutes Australian food. Um, I mean, a lot of us automatically think of meat pie and lamingtons, but it sounds like um, we've been very, very important when it comes to, to the history of food and, and, uh, and creation of dishes. I think I think I think there's been I think there've been two factors there. One, obviously, this amazing, you know, these these, these waves of migration we've had have been have been crucial in terms of in terms of the influence Australian food has on the world, um, especially in terms of you know modern food. Um, I think I think there's also that that migration. You get a dish like steak, Diane, which is which is probably very in truth is probably made by this guy called this guy called um, Teddy Kalichi uh, in when he had a restaurant very. Restaurant in London. He'd been a he'd been a head waiter in Sydney, a place called Romano's. He then gone back to London, opened his own place. It was, it was like the Tatler Cool Restaurant of the day. Yeah? It was sort of like the um, and and he 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 one night, I think it was the night after Hitler had annexed the Sudetenland. He was he the the kind of the it girl of the time came in very depressed, wanted cheering up, so he made him this di- made her this dish. But it really didn't take off in the UK. It's only when Clarici uh, Clarici returns to Sydney. And starts making the dishes in Sydney, and then American movie stars start coming in, and American servicemen start coming in, and they take the dish back to America, and then suddenly, boom, it, it takes off. Um, so, so we certainly, we certainly, we certainly play our play our part in, in lots of dishes. The other thing, uh, the other thing, other than that migration thing, is that we've also always been really, really interested, uh, and I think really interested in what other people eat, and you find that, and this is an amazing. Um, work than the the, library, the National Library in Canberra has done in digitising old newspapers is that you can see that we were fascinated at what fascinated with what the Anglo Scottish Friendship Association had for their annual <laughs> dinner in eighteen seventy. You know there'll be a, there'll be a little menu list. You go this is a, this is amazing, and there are all these food columnists. We're also we've also got that you know just like overseas people have a fascination with with um with with what Australian wild animals <laughs> do do to the population. <laughs> Here we seem to have a fascination with um with poisonings, with like mass mass food outbreak poisonings. Yes. I think because we were like we were this this great exporter in the in the eighteen hundreds, great exporter of, of of fine produce and wine. And we really had this role of being a the sort of almost like the almost almost like the pantry um of, of Europe. And and one and, and you know one of the first you're looking for the history of the lemon meringue pie. The, the one of the earlier, one of the ways you date lemon meringue pie is there's a famous New York outbreak of the lemon meringue pie poisonings that, oh. were, that were covered here <laughs> about a year after they were covered in New York. Goodness. Um, and, and 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 so you you find and, and it's only with that that's one of those this is one of those weird ones where because I'm a nerd and I'm obsessive. So you, you read the stuff for Lemon Rain Pie, but then you read the news reports, and about halfway down the news report, there's an interview with a, a guy, the maitre d' of one of the big hotels in New York at the time, saying, saying, and this is 1870, I think, 1880, saying, we've been making Lemon Rain Pie for 30 years, and we've never had an issue with poisoning. And so you go, oh, my gosh, so this now, we can now place Lemon Rain Pie 
you know, 30, probably 20 years earlier than it's previously been played. So, so that, that's the stuff that just appeals to the real nerd in me. Um, but, but that, but that, that sort of, that tangential stuff and our interest in, our interest in, um, in, uh, in food that what people are eating around the world is kind of quite mine. I mean, you know, there, there are some amazing, amazing pictures, um, amazing pictures uh, from, the Sydney Morning Herald of polite in the society pages of people standing around big chafing dishes of spaghetti bolognese in white time tails, tossing it for their guests in <laughs> oh. uh, 1939. Yep. So, and, and, and which is fascinating about that is obviously, you know, previously the, the theory was spaghetti bolognese, first recipe was Elizabeth David's based on Pellegrini Artuzzi's from, you know, turn, turn of the, turn of the 18th, 19th century. Um, was uh, was David's in '46, I think. So, so you suddenly you start discovering that, yeah, well, that 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 may be the the that's the that's the the gospel. But actually, here we got the guy who sets up set up low in Sydney in his white tie and tails, glamorously tossing <laughs> spaghetti bolognese. Then the next question is: Is it spaghetti? Is it really spaghetti bolognese? Is it spaghetti bolognese as, as we would recognise? And I think that's one the other. You know, it isn't just the name. The name's important. But you know, tell tell me, give me the three, give me um, Kevin the three <laughs> significant factors for a for a pavlova. Oh, this will be yeah, good. Just describe a just describe a pavlova. What is it? Um, this will be good. There uh, you go. Uh, no, uh, well, in terms of what it what it he's made of or what it. Oh, just just if if, if you were going to tell an alien what a pavlova <laughs> was, I don't need big details. You know, I just need a, a free thing. It's blah with blah and blah. It's it's beautiful. It melts in your mouth, and it. Jeez, uh, I don't know. Egg whites, you know. Marie. Oh yeah, okay. It's it's a white it's a white dessert that melts in your mouth. Would be uh, okay, but, but but okay. Assume I under I read Larousse, so you can say, for me, a pavlova is it's it's a big it's a big puffy. Puck of crispy, mm. uh, like soft scented crispy outside meringue, gooey on the with inside, with cream on the top and fruit on the top of that. Yep. Would that be right? Yep, yep, yep. So, 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 if I cut the pavlova, if I cut the meringue in half and I put the cream and fruit inside, is that a pavlova? If I make a spaghetti bolognese without mm. the tomato, mm. with uh, just the mince and the spaghetti, are you allowed to call it that? Mm. You know, and and so I think that's. So I think we have to. You know, and and the the, the birth bouillon. We go back to birth bouillon. The 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 real the first recipes that you find that that the birth bouillon, like we we imagine, are chopped up bits of meat, red wine, onions, bacon, are, are not in are not in some great French cookbook. They're in um they're in Elizabeth David and Julia Child. So previously, I, previously I was, it's been kind of it's more a source that <laughs> there's a great description of a of a traveller. Tra- traveling and going to one of those bouillons, one of those working in cafes in Paris, and be given last night's grey roast beef with um, a kind of red wine sauce just poured over the top, mm. a, bit, a bit like a kind of leftover dish, you know, the, the gravy's hiding the meat, um, similar to perhaps to what we would do shepherd's pie. So, so, so that these are these are the these are the kind of the details you get into. It, 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 if it's a, if it, it can it can be called a birth bouillon, but unless it's got you know those onions, the bacon, the red wine. I don't see that as really being. It's another dish with the same name. Yeah. All right, or is it, or is it a case of uh, of putting a, a twist on a on a traditional favourite, as you've done in this particular book? I mean, you've got many classic recipes, but many of them have that special Matt twist and, on them. And, and look, yeah, look, look. I think that that gets back to the core of what a cookbook is. It has to offer, 
you know, the, I mean, one of the ones I love, one of the recipes I love the most is, and it's, but it's probably the most, <laughs> for William Meppen, who shot the book, mm. is the, it's the most excited I got. <laughs> I saw him getting two weeks of shooting this book is, um, is uh, I make a, a spanakopita toasty, like a, oh, like a triangle, span, triangle spanakopita, but made by putting phyllo pastry in a, in a jaffle maker oh, or, a yeah. toasty, or a toasty maker. Why didn't I think putting, that? Putting the filling in the hole. Stick sheets of phyllo across the, the toasty maker, yep. push your filling into the holes, six more sheets have been buttered on top, close yep. it, like seal it with egg white, close the top down, cook it for two minutes, and suddenly you get a toasty, but it's it's with all the crispy joyousness of of the feel of the spanakopita, and with that that kind of egg, horta, um, maybe mint ricotta filling inside. Oh. Um, so so that that's obviously it's a long way from those original cheese pies that were made, you know, by 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 Pyrrhus, mm. the, the Pyrrhic Empire um, in in Greece. Um, but it's still, I think, I think, I still think if you if you taste it, you go. You know what's the spanakopita? It's a bit like what we asked with them. Um, we asked with we asked about modern food. You know what's how would I describe a spanakopita? It's crispy filo pastry, and it's a filling of um, and it's a filling of in this case, it's a filling of um, of, of greens and feta and ricotta. Mm. And if I say that, whether it's in a big tray, that's spanakopita. Whether it's whether it's hand folded roll, that's spanakopita. And I think probably whether it's in a, even if it's, and I'm sure there are a lot of yayas out there who disagree with me. Even if it's made in a jaffle machine, I think it's still spanakopita. <laughs> 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 uh, so, is this opened a rabbit warren in your head that that, that, that this is the yeah. start of of your journey with this sort of episode? If you know, you, what, I you mean? know what I think, Kevin. I think what I what I what I. I think I think there I think there are two things, two factors. Uh, I made a list of, of um, when, when, when we started out the project. We made a list of four hundred recipes, four hundred dishes that we could look at. And there are some dishes like Sancho Bao that have no history. Mm. You just you can't find anything. Oh wow! You know, and and that and that's weird in China because they've been writing about they've been China been writing about food for. Thousands, thousands of years. There's lots of archaeological work being done there, so you can normally you can normally find stuff out. So there are certain issues that you just can't discern. At this point, you can't discern history. Um, I think I think the other thing is that there are certain dishes that are just a. And I've, I made the mistake in previous cookbooks. There are certain things that just a pain in the ass to cook. <laughs> you know, pad thai would be a great oh, example. Yeah. Pad thai is pad thai is one of the world's do most delicious dishes, but it's a pain in the ass to cook compared to um, pad grapau. You know the dish of the dish they're in the, the Thai caves, the dish that they all wanted when they came out. The kind of that 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 kind of uh, ideally pork mince fried fried egg. You know mm. deliciousness um, with rice. So so that that both pad thai and that dish come from the same period of you know when Thailand's leader general. Pete and okay, um, the, the field marshal who was in charge during the Second World War was going. We need to be more Thai. We need to eat in a Thai way. We need to celebrate Thai products, and so up pop these two dishes. But 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 as a recipe, pad Thai is honestly, I'd ra- I would rather you go to the local hole in the wall and pick it up for eight bucks yeah. and save yourself the hassle. <laughs> uh, so 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 there are some dishes that fell like that. I think I think so. So I, I, I think is there another? Are there more stories to be told? Always, but I think what's almost more interesting is that is that these are the 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 search towards getting a tr- towards the truth of a dish, an origin truth. Sometimes you can 
find it. Sometimes you can see the tu- you can see the try line. You can touch down. You know, butter chicken, Gora yeah. Bazaar, yeah. Peshawar. Um, the th- three gentlemen who who after partition moved to Mumbai set up the moved to Delhi set up the Moti Mahal, and they give us butter kebab and they and they and they make. They originally make butter chicken without kasuri methi, with basically tomatoes, standard ingredients, to as a way of, like the bourguignon, of taking last night's um, tandoori chicken and making it edible for the next day, putting a, a juicy sauce over the top of it. So we know that, that that's, that's a hard and fast, well-documented, well-covered. Um, uh, then you can probably do the same thing for heaters as well. Um, but there, but some of the other ones, like Pavlova and the, this uh, uh, Evolve, and there are a couple of academics um, Annabel Utrecht and an, and a, um, a new academic, and they've done amazing research on Pavlova, and, and they and they and, and I, I and I, I've done a bit, and I think I've moved what they've done on a little bit, but I know that they'll come back and find something else, yeah. and another bit of you know someone will find a someone someone may find that menu from the um, the Melbourne hotel where Anna Pavlova stayed. Where apparently there's this kind of great myth in the like nineteen when she was when she was touring twenty six I think when she was touring that um that, that this the Melbourne Hotel where she's staying made a made the very first Pavlova. There's zero proof anywhere mm-hmm. other than this, these kind of whispers. But you know you never know the, the menu might turn up. Yeah. You know someone yeah. may be going through their attic and find a box of their, their great grandfather's old things, and there'll be his handwritten notebook mm. from you know nineteen twenty two saying. Blah blah blah. Yeah, we just waiting you know, for it Bert to turn. Bert Sasha, Bert Sasha, who is, I think, the the, the father of the first true Pavlova, um, or certainly one of the one of the the four one of the four grandparents of, should we say? Um, you know, it, it, we may find that we may find that one of their one of his descendants finds Bert's mother's Prussian cookbook and finds a recipe in there for the tram tort, yep. which would then place, which is very which is basically a Pavlova by another name. And will then, and that will then say, well, actually, then we know got direct link where Bert actually found the idea from it was it was his grandmother's because obviously that dish comes from Prussia and he was from Prussia originally. So that you can, I can see the bits of the jigsaw that need to be finished, <laughs> and, and 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 we also don't know where the jigsaw actually goes. So there may be bits <laughs> over here that even exist. <laughs> yes. But I love this idea that there'll be other people who'll dig stuff up, who'll, who'll find other stuff, and I, and I I kind of hope that in it. In five years' time, I'll have to rewrite the recipe book and correct the myths that I myself have perpetuated that have now been corrected by other people. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. Perfect note to finish on, Matt. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, you've opened up a hornet's nest, <laughs> but uh, you're, you're the man to do it. Uh, well, you know, I've, I've, got my, I've got my bee suit on. I'm, I'm, there, I'm there with the helmet. So, Sarah, Kevin, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Take care. You are listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier, brought to you by Cheese Links, bringing cheese and yogurt making to your kitchen. Cheeselinks.com.au all right, I'm so, I'm in the corner with the dunce cap on. <laughs> you pav. I, <laughs> I didn't know whether to help you or not. <laughs> oh, you I think you um, no, you no, drew I, a mental blank, you poor thing. No, I think everyone's uh, everyone's firmly established that no, you did know not to help me, <laughs> and you didn't. <gasps> I, I went. I, sorry, I went as blank as the wall. I'm looking at now. Yes, Seriously. Yes. Well, can I just say I'm not. I see. I don't cook like like you cook. Where I where I 
I build things. I just cook stuff. Mm. I don't actually build something. Or, or <laughs> yeah. my, I don't, and I don't bake. I've never baked in my life. So I don't know, oh, you put that in Isington, you put the sugar, you put... <laughs> I think the issue was you didn't actually recall what a pavlova was no, to there begin was with. <laughs> well, I'm, as you know, I don't eat a lot of pavlova. I eat a lot of crap and... Kevin, and, and it's okay. You don't have stuff. to justify it. I'm just we love a, you just the way you I'm are. I'm just sitting over here in the corner with the big D cap on, the big That's dance. okay, Kevin. Now, look, just want to remind you, a copy of that book, Matt Preston's World of Flavour, could be yours. Jump on uh, the uh, Food Bites with Sarah Patterson Facebook page and all the details are there. It's yes. simple as your your little twist on a classic dish that might be mentioned in this book. It doesn't have to be, but your little twist yes. on it. Yes. Okay. Now, yes. we're twisting into our... Food poll. Oh, our Friday food poll this week. Uh, a battle of the takeaways, I guess. Um, pretty f- simple. Pizza, takeaway pizza, or fish and chips. Yep. Oh, you can't go wrong with either, sort of, really, can it's you? It's a hard one, isn't it? Well, you're going to find Different out. one for different occasions. Yes. Terry Daniel for a two-double-D. Let's start with Terry. Yep. He says that's a tough one, but fish and potato scallops... Cakes, Terry, they're cakes. <laughs> yeah. Hello, New South Wales. <laughs> uh, they would win for me. Uh, he loves Cassidy's Cafe and Takeaway. That's uh, their local. Great fish there. Sarah Wombi says fish and chips with a pickled onion or two. Oh, yes. Yeah. Got to have those. Fran Duncanson Pizza with pineapple, Kevin. Oh, no, oh, that's going to cause another debate. <laughs> Jacqueline Joyce says fish and chips. Sue Hosking says fish and potato cakes for me. I love a good pizza with pineapple. Here we go. But a fresh piece of grilled flake wins every time I eat. Yeah, Andy Blake says, love pizza, especially a wood-fired oh, one. Yeah, Agree. Done well. Cherie Dodson, fish and chips. We get the nippers pack down at Venus Bay. Ian Barnes says, fish and chips for me, but uh, this isn't takeaway. A Barnesy special, <laughs> homemade in the pizza oven, win, wins hands down every time. Since when have you got a pizza oven, Barnsey? Yeah, I'm a bit very jealous. Handy, very handy thing to have. Rebecca says pizza. Sharon says fish and chips. Rachel, both. Uh, Patricia says pizza. Anthony says if I were back home, it would be pizza 100%. Here in, uh, what's that, uh, Melbourne? Well, it was a flag of uh, another country. <laughs> it's fish and chips country. by Country Mile. Uh, Julie says both. And pizza for me, but I like fish and chips too. Lee says a tie. The Ligon Street pizzas, gourmet fish and chips made from Dutch cream potatoes. Oh, I oh, like people are giving us their favourite places to get there. Very toffee there. <laughs> Glenn Rudder says fush and chops every time, Paddo. Michelle Smith said if there was a decent fish and chip shop here, I'd say fish and chips, mm. but it's going to be pizza for now. Jamie Lake, F and C's for sure. <laughs> I, mean, what? I don't know why that made me laugh. <laughs> Uh, it's probably not supposed to. Sounded rude. <laughs> Annie, Annie Peacock said, in memory of my dad, I think it's about time I ordered fish and chips. Thanks for the reminder. But we will uh, need to have a few, okay, quite a few potato cakes. Yeah, good potato well. cake oh, is oh. the world. Hey, there's that thing with potato cakes when you order. You're like, you, you, <laughs> you get, say what? two and they give you three. And they, yes. <laughs> and you get in the car and you open it and go, yes. And they all do it. Yeah, is they it a do. secret thing? I don't know. But if you order three, you know how many you get? Four. No, three. No. It's a secret thing where you say just two potato cakes and they put three in. Ah, don't understand. Neither do I. Sam Newman says pizzas hardly vary, but it all depends on where you get your F and C's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that F and C's again. Mm. How's that for a non-answer, he says. Thank you, Sam. Uh, Eddie Ollick says, please don't make me choose between my two favourites. It's a mission yeah. impossible. Joe Gara, fish and chips. I can make pizza at home. A very Italian of you, Joe. 
Uh, Jan says, fish and chips wins hands down, especially when on holidays by yeah. the sea. <laughs> there you know the fish is fresh and nothing beats shop-bought chips. You can buy posh pizzas with all sorts of gourmet toppings everywhere in Melbourne, cooked in a wood fire stove. The latter is more... Uh, the latter is more. Mm. These two takeaways are, in my opinion, the only ones worth buying. Rodney says blasphemy. Stuart says you ask the hard questions, but pizza just. I do ask hard questions. Our mate Danny McGinlay, fish and chips by <laughs> 10 goals. Yeah, on the football have, terminology. There's some sort of football <laughs> analogy in there, doesn't he? Robert says there's no better takeaway comfort food than F and C's. There's that F and C's again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kate Stevenson, the wonderful You've spent Kate Stevenson. You've too much Stevenson. time in the Western suburbs. I know, I'm such a bogan. Yes. Twelve-year-old no. uh, me says fish and chips all the way. Insert age here. <laughs> um, <laughs> Forty. Such a, yeah. Insert age here. Me says a good Italian pizza every time. Slice of pizza. Top votes to uh, Diavolo. Is that right? Yep. Um, at, at pizza. Sporto. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what that is, but Diavol is the one that she likes. We've promoted it anyway. Yeah. Rosemary Walton says, I could easily eat pizza every day of the week, but F and C's <laughs> only every once in a while. Jane Barnes, the wonderful Jane Barnes, who we had on our podcast just the other day, fish and chips here at home. Definitely pizza when in Rome, mm. faced with tears of joy. Yes. <laughs> and Bruce finishes off saying, depends on uh, where you can get your, you, where you go, yeah. you can get great pizza or great fish and chips. But it's shitty if, uh, or, or shite, uh, they either can be very good. Yeah, so, shitty of either is shite. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But uh, either can be very good. So there you go. You don't don't want to get um, fish and chips that have been sitting in the paper wrapping too long. They go all soggy. No, you don't want fresh. soggy fish and no, chips. It's got to be the, the, the pulled the basket. They've got to be fresh out. out of the fryer. I don't know why people order by phone and then not turn up. When you're sitting there waiting mm. for your fish and chips, I like to sit in the shop and wait, and you're waiting for yours, and they'll call out 42. And then by the time yours is cooked 10 minutes later, 42 walks in and grabs it and thinks, it's been Wait. sitting in that paper for 10 minutes. I want to get it home. Do you know what makes me absolutely ravenous? When you go out in your car and you order your takeaway fish and chips and then you have to drive them home and they're sitting on the front seat and you could smell yeah. – the beautifully freshly fried fish and yeah. chips, and it's uh, your car is just full of the aroma it's of not it. Quite and as good the next day, but that at that time. Oh man, uh, isn't that the best yeah, smell? It I is. mean, pizza is similar too. If you get a takeaway pizza and you put it in your car, that smell just makes you um, not the absolutely next day. ravenous. Yeah. No. Matt Preston's World of Flavor is the book. Jump on the uh, the Facebook page, Food Bites with Sarah Patterson. Uh, the uh, the question is really simple. Just tell yeah. us your twist on a traditional dish, what you've done to it. To just Make it, it special. Your little tweak and uh, we'll announce the winner of that uh, on the next podcast. Yes. Okay, simple as that. And, of course, obviously on the Facebook page as well. For me, I like to put a little it. bit of um, chilli-infused olive oil or lemon-infused olive oil um, on a nice piece of salmon. Mm. I mean, it's very simple. But you love that. No, yeah, I do. do. You do like That's that. That's my twist. Yeah, I muck around a bit with some some sort of Mexican food and put little bits and pieces in there, but nothing. nothing yeah, you're a bit twisted. Uh, very much so. And on that <laughs> note, let us uh, let me just take the dunce cap off and go off. Oh, and Kevin, I'm off to Pavlova don't School. Don't beat yourself up. I will. I'm going to Pavlova School and I'll be much better next time Matt Preston asks me a question about that. I don't know about you at Pavlova School. Yeah, I'm no, looking no. at an F for fail there. Yeah, absolutely. I'd Sorry. Be get, I'd be getting either my F's or my C's, one of the two. <laughs> Uh, thank you for listening. Hope you thank enjoyed you. it. Thanks to Cheese Links. Don't forget to jump on the website, cheeselinks.com.au. Have a little graze around the <laughs> website and to work out what you want, give Janet a buzz on 52821984. Thank you, Sarah. Can't wait to catch up with you again. 
Thanks for listening to Food Bites. Check out our Facebook page and Twitter for recipes, tips and all the latest news. That's Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Brought to you by Cheese Links. Bringing cheese and yoghurt making to your kitchen. All you need to know at cheeselinks.com.au.